If you are a parent, you know, and you have been for a little while, a few years, you know that there comes a time as a parent where that sweet, cute little baby in the car seat behind you turns into this child that will not stop asking you questions from the back seat, right? And when you grow out of that season as a parent, you kind of miss it. Like, oh, I remember that time when blah, blah, blah. And then when you're not a parent yet, you're like, oh, I can't wait for that. But when you're in that moment, your child is annoying, right? It's like, just, I don't know why the sky is blue. I haven't been in school in like 20 years. I forgot, okay? I'm an idiot, right? You've exposed me. I don't know the answer to the 8 million questions you just asked me on the way to Publix, all right? I love you, but for the love of God, please be quiet. It happens, all right? It happens to all of us. But it's because we are, by nature, an inquisitive people, right? And, and that's how we grow. That's how we learn is we ask questions. And as a kid, who better to ask than your parent, right? But as we grow older, it doesn't change. The questions might change. We go from why is the sky blue to, Lord, when is this going to happen for me? Or why does this happen? Or how is this going to happen? The depth of our questions go much deeper than when we're kids, but we still ask questions. And just like kids ask their parents, who better for us to go to than our Heavenly Father to ask these questions? We are curious. We want to grow. We want to know these things. And I am here to tell you this morning in our series, Only Jesus, that we are starting today, that only Jesus knows all the questions to the answers that we have. However, just because he knows doesn't mean he is going to tell us. When he does tell us, a lot of times it's in our own self-reflection looking back on where we were at a time that we say, oh, that's what God was doing in that moment. Now I understand what he was doing. And then there's other questions that we ask the Lord and he doesn't answer us. And we won't know until we get to heaven. But I have a theory on that. It's just a theory. It's just my take. I've never been to heaven myself. But I believe that when we get to heaven, and we, we, you know, if you ever hear those people, when, when I get to heaven, the first thing that I'm going to ask the Lord is fill in the blank. Like, why are there mosquitoes or whatever? You know, like real important theological things. I think when we get to heaven, the last thing that we are going to be asking God is why there's mosquitoes, right? Or whatever big question that we had him, we are going to be so wrapped up in the glory of God, singing praises to him with all the angels and the saints, that the last thing that we're going to do is go, God, why did this happen? We're just going to thank you, Jesus, that I'm here. Right? So there's things that he asks or that he answers and there's things that he doesn't. But there's this question that we do need to ask ourselves and ask the Lord especially. It has nothing to do with the how, what, when, where, and why. It has to do with me. It has to do with, God, what are you doing in me in this moment? You see, we're, we're, in our walk of faith, we, it's like we open a book and we get to page one as we start this walk and we read it, and we just want to go right to the end. We want to go right to the end and know the answer to all the things that are going to happen. What God is saying, look, read the book. Enjoy the story. Enjoy all the pages. Don't just jump from one to the very end. But that's what we want. We want to know the end so bad. 
that we skip over all the other things when really we should be asking, God, what are you doing in me in this moment? And if we read in Psalms 139, I love how the psalmist writes here, starting in verse 19. He says, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out, get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your, your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with a total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. James, what does that have to do with what you're talking about today? Listen to verse 23. Search me. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So David, you're saying, look, God, I hate your enemies. I, they're, they're wicked. Do something about them. They blaspheme you. They're murderers, all these things. And then he transitions to say, search me. There's all this evil going around in the world. There's all this hatred towards you. These, all these things blaspheming you. And so what I want from you, Lord God, is to search my heart. Let's make this conversation not about them and what you're going to do to them and how you're going to treat them and all these things, but search me. What are you doing in me, Lord? Let, let, let's put the spotlight on me for a second and make sure that with all these things going on, I'm not losing myself in all of this. And I'm still walking in you, Lord. So my question to you is, God, is there anything in me? Is there anything in my heart that you need to rip out so that I can walk according to you in all of this? Same chapter, Psalms 139, the very beginning, verse 1. O Lord, you have examined my heart. And listen to this. Know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head, and verse 6 is so important. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And I want to point out verse 6, because when we read things like, you know everything I do, and you know everything about me, we jump to the conclusion that God's knowledge over us is not good, because he knows our fears, he knows our failures. He knows those sins that we hide in the darkness of our heart, in the corner, buried so no one can see it. He knows our dreams. He knows our passions. He knows the things that we would love to do, but we're sc too scared to tell anybody about them. He knows everything about us. Only Jesus knows us truly, even more than we know ourselves. But with that, with that it says that his knowledge over us is not scary, is not fearful, is not condemning, does not give us guilt or shame. It says that his knowledge is wonderful. His knowledge about us is wonderful because he created us. And God doesn't make mistakes in what he creates. And so he sees us, and we'll get to this in a minute, in a way that we don't see ourselves. His knowledge is wonderful. It is not something to be scared of. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something certainly to run from. David understood that God knowing us was not something to be afraid of. God knowing us, taking the time to know who we are is a wonderful thing. Think about all the things that God could do. 
all the resources at his disposal, and he, cho he chooses to know us. Listen, y'all, listen to me this morning. He knows you. He knows everything about you, and he calls you wonderful. He does not love you in spite of those things. He loves you, and he's going to take those things and get rid of them. So it's not like, okay, I I'll love you anyway. All right, I, I guess I'll just ignore those things and look past those things. He says, no, no, no. I love you, and we're going to work on those things, and we're going to change you so those things don't exist anymore. I want to read a few verses, and we're going to get into a story this morning that illustrates Jesus knowing us and how he operates in knowing us. But first, let's kind of set the table with these four verses. Hebrews 4, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So no creature hidden from his sight. Psalms 44, 20 and 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Verse 30, here we are. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are more value than many sparrows. 1 John 3, 20. And this is the big one. For if our heart condemns us, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So every creature, every creature, God sees. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the secrets of our heart. But here's the thing, y'all, and this, I want to I just hammer this home to you this morning. For if our heart condemns us, if your heart condemns you, you know what God says? I'm greater than your heart. I'm greater than your heart. And I know you. Are there any of us, don't raise your hand, but are there any of us in this morning that are condemning ourselves? I want to say to you very clearly this morning, God is greater than your own condemnation over yourself. His heart for you is greater than your own heart for yourself. So like we sang earlier with about our feelings not dictating us or you know, all those things, believing in our feelings. Don't believe in your feelings. Believe in the word of God. Believe in those things. All right, so let's apply that truth that God knows everything and that his heart is greater than our own condemning hearts. And let's read this story out of John chapter four, starting in verse one. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. What an, what an amazing verse that is. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus doesn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to do. It's not like there wasn't another route, not like there was a gun to his head. There wasn't anyone beating down his door to go through Samaria. If anything, it was the opposite. Jesus, we should probably go around. Let's go this other way like all the other Jewish leaders do. Let's not go through Samaria. No, 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 I have to go through Samaria because I know someone there. I know someone there. And I need to tell them that my heart does not condemn them, even though her heart does. And so, because I know her, 
I have to go. I have to leave the 99 and I got to go get that one. I got to go get that one. Verse five. So he came to town to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Another word for that, it was about the perfect time. Remember last week we talked about God's timing is perfect and that Jesus is a planner, right? He is a planner. He plans things out. He knows exactly what he is doing all the time. So when it says it was about noon, what that really means is it was about the exact time that he was planning on being there. Jesus nailed it. He wasn't late. He was right on time. Verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay. She's saying, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. We don't talk. We have difference, right? We have beef, right? Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Samaritans don't associate with Jews. So you shouldn't be talking with me. Modern day translation of that. I can't talk to you because I'm too messed up. Because you're Jesus and I have all this stuff going on that I can't actually talk to you, right? You're there and I'm here and we are a world apart. That is the human knowledge right? That is how we think that if I, I can't possibly go to God, I can't possibly go to church. I can't possibly open up to the people in my church. I can't be honest with what's actually going on in me because God is so far over there. And I'm so far back here that there's this whole world between us. And so there must be separation, human knowledge. But what did we say about God knowledge? That it is too wonderful Because God knowledge is what Jesus says. Look, if you knew who I was and what I stand for, you would have been running to me for water. And the reason that we don't is because we don't understand who Jesus is. We continue to act like he's Jew and we're Samaritan and we stay away at an arm's reach. We say, I can't approach you because not of what we've done, but because we don't understand who Jesus is. We're operating in, in people knowledge when we st- should be ap- operating in God knowledge. God knowledge is too wonderful for us to comprehend. And so Jesus meets this woman at the well at noon where it's just him and her to address this very thing. And he wants to meet you at whatever well he can find, at whatever time of the day he can find you there. And maybe that's this morning. I hope it is. Because a lot of us need to start operating in God knowledge and let go of this whole human knowledge business because it is a dead-end street that leads to death. It certainly doesn't lead to living water. Where am I? (laughs) Thanks, brother. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? So here we go with the questions, right? Uh, You're not capable. Who are you? You know, blah, blah, blah. Just peppering her, uh, Jesus, with questions. And he answers her, verse 13. 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And here's what Jesus says. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. All right. Remember, Jesus knows everything, right? He knows about us. He knows what's going on, and he knows what he's saying when he says this sentence, go and call your husband and come back. And the reason that he says this, we'll get into more of it in a second, is because in order to drink the living water that Jesus offers us, we first have to give him our heart. And that is the matter at hand right here. He's not, he, he knows what's going on. He's saying, look, I came here at this well noon to talk to you about your heart. And so I'm going to bring it to the surface. Jesus is really good at that. Read scripture. He always does that. People come to him. They want something. He goes, okay, how, yeah, sure. Let, let's talk about this giant the, like elephant in the room first. What's going on in your heart? Because that's the issue. That's what he wants. He wants our hearts. He wants a relationship. And he wants to give us that living water so badly, but in order to receive it, we have to give him our heart. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. All right? Whoa! Whoa! truth bomb right here. What did she just walk into? She's just going to this well to get some water in the middle of the day. And now here we are. This dude, this, this, this Jewish man that she's not even supposed to be talking to is telling her everything about herself. And it's not very good. But she is, he is not saying this to expose her, to embarrass her, to make her feel guilty or shameful. He's saying, he, he, he's taking this sin and this darkness and, this, and what is guilt and shame in her life and he's ripping it out of her heart. He's saying, here it is. I know and I'm not going anywhere. I know and I came for you to get this out of your heart, not to shove it back down your throat and into your face. I want it out of you. That's why I came to this well at noon, when you were by yourself, because I know you're lonely, because I know all the other women in the town have rejected you, because I know you're the source of all this gossip, and I'm here to say enough for you. So let's talk about it. Let's get it out in the open right now. I know about it, and I'm here. And also, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not afraid of it. So you might have created this wall between us, but I'm here to break through that wall and to get into your heart. Because though you condemn yourself, my heart is greater than your heart. And my knowledge for you is too wonderful to let you live this way ever again. So why don't you let go and trust me? So how about those five husbands? Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, what is she doing here? Changing the subject, okay? She's changing the subject. You have five husbands. So let's talk about where we worship. How about that? Anything else but what you just said, right? Which is what we do, by the way. 
when we start to get just a little bit vulnerable about the things in our art, hey, how about them Jags, all right? I love Trevor Lawrence, right? <laughs> Whatever we can do to change the subject off of ourselves, feeling like we are going to be exposed for the shame in our life, we will change the subject to whatever. So I know, let's get into a theological debate right here at the well at noon. <laughs> Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, listen to what she says, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So isn't it, isn't it funny that she's like, yeah, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he's going to answer all of our questions. Listen, y'all, that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to form this line of riddle me this and, and, and answer all these questions that we have. That would be exhausting. I'm like, no, I'm not leaving heaven for that. That sounds like a terrible idea. But man, it's, we still have that in us where, where we just want Jesus to answer our questions for us rather than heal us, rather than heal our hearts and set us free. We just want to know why. Listen, I've, I've been around many new believers that want to talk about like, I mean, stuff in the Bible that I, I'm not going to get into. I'm like, what? Huh? Are, like, are you, are, you, are you just praying every day? You know, right? Are, are, are you asking God to forgive you of things every day? But let's leave all the, the talking donkeys and all those things and, and, and all that other stuff for later. And let's lay that foundation of who Jesus is in your life first. And let's not get on this debate when we're face to face with Jesus about where we worship. Let's instead just fall on our knees, right? And just love Jesus and let him love us back. I mean, they, listen, y'all, I get on a soapbox here for a second, but... But talking theology for theology's sake can be just as big of an idol as anything else. It can be totally absent of Jesus. When all we want to do is debate, debate, debate. It gets us nowhere. When we approach Jesus out of love and sincerity, those, again, don't get me wrong, those things are good. That's how we grow. It's good to discuss those things, but they have their place. And where this woman is right now, this is not the place or the time. She's face to face with Jesus. He announces himself to her, saying who he is. And she's talking about where do we worship? Right after he has just told her, you've got five, you've had five husbands and the one you have now is, or you, who are not your husband and the one you have now isn't either. Let's debate. Oh, when Jesus comes, he's gonna, he's gonna answer all of our questions. So much more than that. He is so much more than that. Let's skip down to verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, listen to this. So this, this time has come where she understands who Jesus is. She's come to this revelation that he loves her despite what she's been doing. That he doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. That his heart is greater than her own condemning heart. And this is her reaction. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? 
they came out of the town and made their way towards him. So now, rather than being this woman that hides at the well at noon, because all the other women go in the morning and she doesn't feel welcome around them, or maybe she has been outcast by them, she's hiding all the things in her heart from everyone around her, especially Jesus. She is now announcing to the town, this guy knows everything about me. She's not afraid anymore. She's celebrating the fact that Jesus knows everything about her. You see, she switched from human knowledge to God knowledge, where her knowledge was condemning and trying to hide, and now she's met Jesus face to face, and she has experienced his knowledge over her, which is greater than her own condemning heart. Her knowledge is Jesus came for me, and he went this way for me, and he doesn't condemn me. He loves me. He knows me like no one else possibly could. And here he is at the well offering me living water. Me. I'm a Samaritan. I've got all sorts of baggage. No one in town wants to be seen with me. They won't talk to me. They won't look at me. But I hear the whispers. And here Jesus is offering me living water because his heart for her is greater than her own heart for herself. He knows us and he loves us and he loves you. And he died on a cross, nailed to it, suffocating with every breath, not to answer your questions, but to say, here is living water. I don't condemn you. And he does it throughout the Bible. Have the band come back up and we're going to have a moment to pray this morning. But I just want to consider, you know, look, look, in this, look in Scripture and see where he does it over and over again. Paul, in 1 Timothy 1, Paul says that he was the greatest of all sinners. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He lived at the time of Jesus and said no to Jesus. He rejected him. And then those that walked with the Lord, that received Jesus, he went after them. He hunted them down. And what does Jesus do? He meets them on the road to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? He blinds them. He changes his name from Saul to Paul. He makes them brand new and says, now you got work to do. You go evangelize for me. Jesus is coming through a town and there's all these people surrounding him and he looks up in a tree and he sees this guy named Zacchaeus who is the chief tax collector, the worst of all tax collectors. He's a crook, right? He's made his money off, of, off the Jewish people. Jesus is walking through and sees him and says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. And he says, get down from that tree. I'm coming to your house today because I know you. And my heart is greater than your condemning heart. He looks at Matthew, a Jewish tax collector, a traitor and a thief. He says, come and follow me. He does that with me. He says, James, I saw you running from the call in ministry, praying your, your way out of this place, wanting to do anything else but this. And I'm not letting you go. And I've called you to this. And though you don't feel qualified at times and you look back at who you were, makes you question what you're doing, my heart is greater than your condemning heart. 
He looks at Rob, who said all sorts of things to God, about God, to him, with all the language that he could muster. When Rob says, show yourself to me, the phone rings. Changes his life. does that for each one of us in here. Calls a retired policeman from New York down in a small church at Beaches Chapel. Changes his life. He sees us. He sees you. And he's meeting each one of you at the well every Sunday and every day of your life. Praise God that he is available 24-7 to say, my heart is greater than your condemning heart. So rather than trying to push those things deeper and deeper into the recesses of your heart where no one can see them, allow God to rip them out so you don't have to worry about them anymore. So you can be like the woman at the well and run back into town and say, he knows everything. He knows everything about me. Come to him so that he can know everything about you too. Because he's not there to condemn you. He's there to set you free. He's there to set you free. So as we began this 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 morning talking about the questions that we ask. I have some to ask now. With the understanding now that Jesus knows everything about you, are you willing to trust him? Are you willing to trust him with it? Here's another one. Knowing that God's heart is greater than your own condemning heart, are you willing to now forgive yourself for the things he's already forgiven you of? And lastly, knowing that God sees you and knows you like no one else could. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He provides for you more than any creature. What are you afraid of? afraid of. Stop walking in fear. Stop walking in fear. There's nothing, some people in here need to hear this, there's nothing to be afraid of. God sees you. He knows you like only he can. We're going to stand, we're going to worship this morning, and if you need prayer, we're going to have our elders come up, our wives on up and we want to pray for you we're not going to put a name on it yeah. and uh, yeah Hannah and Rush come on up too we're, going to put, we're not putting a label on what you need prayer for this morning it can be anything but listen as we, as we launch this series this, this, this morning we go into this only Jesus series that we're going to be doing leading us all the way up to Easter there's purpose in why we talked about this this morning, because we're going to be talking about only Jesus forgives, only Jesus heals, only Jesus saves. There's all sorts of things. But until we can understand that only Jesus knows us in his love, in his heart, 
is greater than our condemning heart, we can't really walk in all those other things. We have to know this now. We have to be able to walk in this truth now so that we can worship him, so that we can trust him, so that we can ask for forgiveness, so that we can ask for healing. But it begins now. It begins by receiving and praising God for only knowing us the way that he can and walking in that freedom because it is freedom. So if you need prayer this morning, you can come on up as we worship. Father, thank you, Jesus, that your heart is greater than our own condemning heart. God, that you see the secrets of our heart, Lord. Everything is open to you. And you love us, Lord. You love us. You set us free. You meet us at the well. And you rip out those secrets, those dark things that cause us to be ashamed and us to feel guilty, alone. You say, no, no, let's not hide that anymore. Let's bring it out to the light. I'm going to show you how much I love you. God, we don't have to change the subject. We don't have to ask a million questions. We just have to receive your love for us that you freely offer us, God. That living water that brings life into us in the places that we're dead where sin has held tightly to, but no more. Thank you, Jesus. Let us walk in freedom right now, Lord. Break the chains of those that have been condemned for far too long and set us free this morning. In Jesus' name, let's worship.